Father, may your word be our rule. May your spirit be our guide. And above everything, we pray that Jesus Christ would be our chief concern. Even so, we pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Just a little bit, of, a little bit of background, because I think uh, sometimes when we look at a book of the prophets, we miss the context in which it's happening. And so I want to get provide just a little bit of background before we get into Jeremiah. So in 597, the Babylonians come down and they conquer Israel and exile a large portion of Israel back into Babylon. If you remember back to last year when we did our series on the book of Daniel, that's the conquering that happened. So the Babylonians come down, they conquer Israel, they bring a lot of people back to Babylon with them, mostly the aristocrats, the artisans, the elites. Daniel is one of the people who is brought out of Israel in exiled into Babylon. And so uh, that's the backdrop of that book, and that's what's happening here in Jeremiah. Now what happened is, is when Babylon conquered Israel and brought back a bunch of people to Babylon, they didn't bring everybody back. They did leave some people in Israel and in Jerusalem. Jeremiah the prophet is one of the people who is back in Jerusalem. So when you read Jeremiah's prophecies, note that they're, they're happening in Jerusalem. They're about Israel, and some of the prophecies are actually words for the people who are in exile. So in just a little bit, we're going to get to Jeremiah chapter 29, which is a letter from God through Jeremiah to those who are exiled in Babylon, but he's writing it from Jerusalem, Okay. So that's what's happening, but before we do that, let's look a little bit at chapter 25, starting at verse 8. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this. So we have Jeremiah now talking. He says, Because you, Israel, have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I will banish from the sounds... I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voice of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Okay, so Jeremiah is prophesying that Israel along with other nations are going to become the servants of Babylon because Babylon is going to conquer them and they will be the servants of Babylon for 70 years. This is Jeremiah's prophecy. Turn with me now to Jeremiah chapter 28. Jeremiah 28, look at the first verse. In the fifth month of that same year, the fourth year, early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, the prophet Hananiah, son of Azur, who is from Gibeon, said to me, Jeremiah, in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years... I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. 
Okay, so now we're introduced to another prophet named Hananiah. Hananiah prophesies that in two years, God will break down Babylon's hold over Israel and the other nations that have been exiled. And those then who have been exiled to Babylon will be able to return home to to Israel and to Jerusalem. Okay, so now we have two prophecies. Jeremiah, 70 years. Hananiah, two years. Imagine for a moment that you're one of the exiles, right? Put yourself into that position. We'll bring it into modern day. Canada has come roaring down like a thief in the night out of the north, has conquered fishers, and has rounded you up, you and your family, or maybe even just some you and some of your family, and then brought you back to the tundra, okay? And now you're in the north, you're separated from your family. Or maybe it wasn't you that got brought back to Canada. Maybe, maybe some of your family went to Canada, but you're, you remain here in Fishers. You're separated. And a prophet, one prophet comes around and says, this is going to be 70 years of exile. You are going to be separated from your family, or you're going to be separated from your home. You're going to have to live in Canada for 70 years. And another prophet comes along and says, no, 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 he's crazy. Two. That's all. Two years. Which prophet are you going to prefer? Right? You're likely going to think very positively about the guy who says, only got to wait two years. Two years and it's all going to be over. Two years, you and your family are going to be reunited. You're going to support him. He is going to be your guy. He's going to be the one that you lift up. He's going to be the one that you support. He's going to be the one that you're going to say, like, this guy can do no wrong. This is my guy. Two years, I like him. What's fascinating as you read into, keep reading in chapter 28, after Hananiah prophesies two years and the yoke of Babylon is going to be broken, Jeremiah actually says to Hananiah, I hope you're right. Like, I want that too. But the only way that we know that a prophet who speaks about peace is speaking the truth is if it actually comes true. So this sets up a rivalry between Jeremiah and Hananiah. They are prophesying two different things. And the people are beginning to choose one over the other, and a lot of them are really liking what Hananiah has to say. And so, as they have this showdown in chapter 28, Hananiah goes over to to Jeremiah. And what you don't know, Jeremiah in chapter 27, he built this wooden yoke and he's wearing a wooden yoke around his neck to symbolize the fact that Israel will be under the yoke of Babylon. I mean, he's, he's a straight up performance, like street, perform, street performer, performance artist, however you want to describe that, right? He's got this yoke on, he's walking around going like, this is what it's going to be like, all of that. So Hananiah goes over to Jeremiah, takes the yoke off his neck, and breaks it in the company of all these other people. Jeremiah actually doesn't say anything. He falls silent, and then he leaves. It gives off the sense that Jeremiah has been bested by Hananiah. But as Hananiah uh, seems to rise to the top and the one who's the victorious, Jeremiah hears from the Lord again. And the Lord says to Jeremiah, Hananiah broke a yoke of wood. 
but I'm going to put a yoke of iron around my people. So Jeremiah goes back to Hananiah. He conveys, hey, this is what God actually told me. That little, that little tinder that was around my neck, that's, that's nothing compared to the yoke that is going to be Babylon on the necks of Israel. Oh, and by the way, Hananiah, you're going to die by the end of the year. And Hananiah dies by the end of the year. And from there, we get into the letter that Jeremiah sends to the exiles in chapter 29. So turn over to chapter 29. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people of Nebuchadnezzar, all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans, had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisa, son of Saphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it is because because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. So you can even hear in the letter that Jeremiah writes to those who are in exile in Babylon the difference between what he is saying and what Hananiah is saying. Hananiah is saying, two years, that's it. Simply wait it out. You're not there for the long haul. Don't settle in. Don't settle down because you're coming home soon. And Jeremiah says, no, 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 no. That's not it at all. God actually says, don't listen to the prophets and the diviners among you who are saying what you want them to say. Instead, build houses. Settle down. It's going to be a while. Go ahead and plant gardens, because you're going to be there when harvest time rolls around. Marry off your sons. Throw a party. Have the big celebration. Don't wait to do that until you return home. Do it there. Have the celebration there. Have them get married there. In Babylon. While you're in Babylon, have children. And then have some grandchildren. Settle in. Settle down. You're going to be there for a while. In fact, you're going to be there for so long that it would be good for you if the city that you're in flourishes. So you should pray for the good for that city. You should work to see that city become prosperous because when that city prospers, you will prosper. And if you pray for the ruin of the city, if you don't want that city to succeed but you want it to fall apart, like you got to realize your future is tied up with the city's future. If the city goes to ruin, you'll go to ruin. But if the city prospers, you will prosper. Settle in. Settle down. 
work and pray for the prosperity of the city. Every time I read this section of Jeremiah's letter to the exiles, I can't help but wonder what it would be like for us to take that kind of posture in relationship to our city. What if we began to think of this as our city? Not simply just the city we live in. Right? Because I think there's a difference between the, seeing the city as, well, this is the city that I live in, versus I'm settling in, I'm settling down, this is my city. Right? The, the, the latter implies a kind of rooted permanence. This is m- my place. I've settled down here. And we live in a culture, and I think, I think this is difficult for us, because we live in a culture that, that is not content to settle in and to settle down. And what I mean by that is, is if you look, we as a culture are more transient than ever. Right? We move around with a lot of ease. And it's sort of something that's just expected of us. So let's try, I hope this works. This could could backfire in my face. Let's just try a little experiment, all right? Just to get some anecdotal evidence of how transient our society is. Show of hands, how many of us are from fishers? Meaning you were born here. Okay, now let me, how many of you were not just born here, but your parents were born here? One generation. Nobody's from here. Right? This is just, this is where we've all come. When we were in Italy, we were looking for things to do with our kids. Some, you know, activities that would be really good for our kids that wouldn't be too far away. And we heard about this, uh, this farm called Susie's Place. And Susie's Place was a farm run by a woman named Susie. And you could go to the farm and you'd play in their backyard and then she would show you around the farm and talk about their farming practices and all of that. And then she would prepare a meal for you using all the ingredients that they had grown on their little working farm. So we took the kids there and we had a great time and she showed us around and the kids were jumping on the trampoline in the backyard and the food was delicious and wonderful. And, and we just got to talking with Susie. Susie was, uh, she's English. She met her husband, who is Italian, met her husband in London where they were both working. They got married. They uh, had their careers. They had a child. And soon after they had their child in London, they began to think, like, what kind of life do we want for our kid? What kind of, do we want them growing up in this big city? Uh, Is this ultimately what we want for our life? And they decided that they wanted to move back to Italy and they wanted to start a small farm. They wanted to be close to food. They wanted to be closer to the land. They wanted a slower paced life, all of that. So they moved back to Italy and they buy this little farm right outside of this village that we're staying in uh, called Chitona. Now, even though Susie's husband is Italian, he is not from Chitona. But they buy the land there, they settle in, they get this farm going, all of that. They've lived there for a while, and while they're there, they have another child, a daughter, who is now roughly 12 years old, okay? Susie told us that uh, one day her, her daughter came home from school and was all upset because all the kids kept calling her a foreigner. And, and for her, she didn't understand why they were calling her a foreigner. She was born there. 
She's lived her entire life in this one little tiny village in Italy. She speaks the language. She knows no other place. Like for her, this is home. And yet they kept calling her, no, you know, you're a foreigner. So she tells her mom this, mom calms her down or whatever, and a couple days later, Susie's in town uh, meeting up with a friend, and she relays this experience to her friend who's lived her entire life in Chitona. And she asks her friend, she says, like, how long do you have to live here before you're considered from here? Her friend thought about it for just a second and then replied, eh, six generations. Like, that just sounds crazy to us, right? Many of us don't even have six generations in this country, let alone six generations in one city. Not, not only that, but we sort of accept as part of our culture that you should be willing to move around the country if needed. Because that's what you do. That's, that's how you have your career, right? Part of our career, we just accept is that at some point in time, I may have to take a job that's going to cause me to move, and that's just how you get ahead. That's just how you do life in America. Rarely does somebody stay in one place for an extended period of time. I mean, there are definitely those who do, but we're the, like, those who do are abnormal. They're, they're the, they break the rule, right? But because what you do is you, you get a job and you move. And, and so we accept it. This is part of our culture. Now what this means is, I think, when we look at the passage in Jeremiah, we would say that none, none of us are exiled. Right? We haven't been stripped from our lands by a conquering nation and brought up to Canada. We are American citizens and we live in America. But in another sense, we're all exiles. The large majority of us are not from here, and yet here we are. And none of us, our parents, were born here. In one sense, we are all exiles brought to this place by some force, by some gravitational pull, a job, wanting to be closer to family. Understanding this is a good place to raise children, right? Something brought us to this place. And the, even the thing that brought us here, a job, family, whatever it might be, those things might be good, good pursuits or good desires, but they're also something that keep us, those same desires are something that keep us from settling in and settling down. Because if those desires are what's ultimate, then those desires may pull us away to another place. I came here for a job, I'll go somewhere else for a job. I came here for family, if my family moves, I'll follow my family. And again, that's good in a lot of respects. But it also keeps us from settling in and settling down. And, and it just makes me wonder if one of the reasons that anxiety is so prevalent in our, in our society, or there's just this, this general lack of peace that we as a people experience, I, I wonder if it is, is, isn't because we haven't settled in. We've resisted settling down because something better might come along. I, I can't help but wonder if maybe our cities don't function the way that they could is because it's our cities are simply filled with a bunch of people who well this isn't 
This isn't mine. I, I'm just here. I, I live in this city, but I haven't settled into this city. There's a very real sense in our society that community, the community of our city, the people that we rub shoulders with, that we drive on the roads alongside of, that we eat, restaurant, eat next to in restaurants, that, that, that this community isn't integral to my being. It's nice. I love the amenities of our city. I love the school systems of our city. I love the things that it offers, but it's not integral. I can take it or leave it. I can move somewhere else. It's not, well, there's, there's no rooted permanence. And I, I can't help but wonder if that, that doesn't cause us to miss out on a bit of shalom. I wonder if we aren't missing something that community has to offer. One night while we were in Italy, we decided that we were going to go into the town square. There's a, there was a cafe that we really uh, liked. I had good gelato. Um, so we were going to, you know, we had dinner. We got the kids all into the, into the van, and we headed into town to go get some gelato because that's what you do every single day. You're in Italy. You eat gelato for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner. And by God's grace, you don't gain weight. It's amazing. It is, it's, it's Eden. So anyways, we get in the car, and we drive down to uh, the, 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 the road that goes through the town. It literally goes in, and it curves, right? And then at the curve, there was a road that goes off to the right that would take you into the town square. And as we're driving down the main road right into the town, like, there were cars everywhere. All the little parking lots that we would normally park in were packed. People were walking into the square. We were like, what in the world is going on? So we finally find a place to park. We go down into the square, and this is what we come across into the square. Just hundreds of people, and there's this dancing, and there's music, and you got kids playing in there, there's the runways going down. Uh, we had no idea what was going on because we don't speak the language, and we, you know, we're outsiders in this. And so we begin to wonder, like, is there a wedding happening? Is that what this is? So. We get down to the end of it, and you can see this is the runway. This is what it looks like. And there's, like I said, just hundreds of people who are here. So we go into the cafe, and we get our gelato, and we try to talk with Johnny, who is the son of the guy who, the, of the family who owns the, the shop. And he spoke real broken English. And we kept getting, it's like, matrimonial, matrimonial. So we're like, oh, it has to be a wedding, right? And we go back outside, and we're like, no, it doesn't seem like a wedding because after a little bit, the dancing stopped. You got this runway here. And what began to happen is you can see these women began to walk up and down the runway. It was like a fashion show. But you can see the dresses that they're wearing. They're fancy, but they're kind of old. So we go up to a shop up in town. We we're going to get some meat or cheese for the next day. The shop was closed, but on the shop door was this, this uh, poster. So I pull out my phone and pull up Google Translate, and I'm holding it up there trying to get it to translate what's actually happening so we can figure out, like, what is going on here? And what we deciphered was that there was a celebration happening in the town square of every wedding that happened between 1945 and 1975 in Chitona. So if you got married in Chitona, they were during that time frame, they were celebrating it. And the women were daughters and granddaughters of women who got married in the town, and they were wearing the dresses, the, the wedding dresses and the bridesmaids' dresses of their mothers and their grandmothers. And 
hundreds of people came to celebrate the weddings of these people who said, we're settling in and we're settling down. Hundreds of people came out just to see what was it like. Now, just, just as an aside, you want to talk about like family values? You want to talk about valuing marriage? Like, that's that. I mean, we saw 20-year-old guys, like cool guys wearing, the, you know, they're very, dressed very European, cool, chic, right? Sitting there smoking cigarettes, the whole thing. And they're out there watching the fashion show and celebrating. Because this is what you do. This is our community. This is how we celebrate our community. And, and listen, I don't, <laughs> I don't mean to romanticize Italy. It's really hard not to. It's a very romantic country. But there's something that happens when, when you're in your culture, you can't see the culture, right? It's the water that you swim in. It's the air that you breathe. You just don't even know to it's, it's there. But when you step out of your culture into another culture, and you're there long enough to, to be fully immersed, you begin to see your own culture a little bit more clearly. And what, what I began to see is just how unrooted we are, unrooted from the place that we live and unrooted from the people who we inhabit that place with. And so when I think about what is God's, what is God's shalom for our culture, what does that look like? Well, part of it looks like the vision that Jeremiah has, that we settle in, that we settle down to the place that God has called us in order for that place to prosper. That we begin to pray and seek the good of our city. And the truth is, is that we can't fully seek the shalom of the city, the good of the city, the flourishing of the city, the prosperity of the city, if we're constantly moving around. That there has to be this aspect where we settle in and we settle down and we make the decision, this is our place. These are our people. And we're going to be here and work for their good. And we understand that that is not a small project. We understand that that's not something you can do in three to five years. But to work for the good of our city and to work for the good of the people who live in this city with us is going to not just take five years. It's not going to just take ten years. That it's going to be something that is going to require us to settle in and settle down. So we're going to build houses. We're going to plant gardens. We're going to harvest what they produce. We're going to marry off our children. We're going to have children and grandchildren. And we're going to engage this place and our neighbors in a whole different level because we're here right now. We've settled in. We've settled down. I think, that's a, I think that's a really difficult idea for us to consider in our culture. And I'll be completely honest with you that it's one that I struggle with, that I wrestle with. It feels like I'm putting myself in a box. It feels like I'm cornering myself. It feels like I'm limiting options. And, and frankly, I don't like that. But at least I have to wonder if, if a little more peace personally a little less anxiety feeling about like, what's next? Where am I going? All of that. If that doesn't get released, when you just make the decision and say, this is where we are. And I think that we can only begin to truly work for the good of our city when we've not only decided that we're settling into this place, but we've also settled into our own lives. As individuals, 
that we've settled in and settled down. We ask ourselves, do, do I really, do I want peace? Do I want freedom from the anxiety of wondering if this next big thing is going to happen or not happen? Do I, do I want to stop worrying about what's next? And I think if the answer to that in any way is yes, then I think we have to embrace this, this mantra, settle in and settle down. I mean, how many of us aren't, aren't trying to escape our current circumstances? Right? How many of us aren't trying to get to the next thing? And, and here's what happens when we are trying to escape our, next, our current circumstances. When we try to escape our current circumstances, then we readily accept the words of a prophet like Hananiah. Two years. You're only going to be here for a little bit. This isn't going to last very long. God's going to come quickly and rescue you. God's going to change something. God's going to open that window when he closed that door, and it's going to happen really, relatively quickly for you. There is something better waiting for you. I know the plans I have for you, thus saith the Lord, and the plans are better than this, and they are coming now. That's Hananiah's message that we want to accept, and frankly, that's the message of our culture. The message of our culture resists the idea of embracing our circumstances and settling in and settling down to where we are and what's going on like a child resists going to bed. It may be the best thing for us to embrace our circumstances, but it doesn't mean we want to. And you can't make me. And why should I have to when they get something better than I do? Why should I be the one who's denied? Why should I be the one who doesn't get to move up or move out or move on? And so when the modern day Hananiah comes and says, you don't have to accept your circumstances and it's only going to be two years. It's only going to be a short matter of time. All the things that you want are the things that God wants to give you. God will help you accomplish your dreams. God will change your financial situation. God will get you that new job. God will do this and God will do that. We go, yes, prophet, speak. I love how tickled my ears feel right now. But Jeremiah comes along and says something completely different and says, no, 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 settle in and settle down. Yeah, 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 okay, okay. But if I can get, get out of this job into the next job, then I'll really be able to, then, then I can do that. No, 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 settle in, settle down now. Man, I just cannot wait for my kids to get out of this phase and into the next phase. And once we're into that next thing phase, everything is going to be better. Settle in. Settle down. Retirement is right around. I cannot wait for retirement because then I will be living the sweet life. Settle in. Settle down. The reality is that our circumstances often change, but we have to accept that our circumstances typically change at a rate we're at a pace that is much slower than we would like. And the way to find peace is not to try to manipulate those circumstances and manipulate our situation by making what we want get here faster. Peace is found when we settle in and we settle down. I want to also note, though, that embracing our circumstances does not mean that we resign our thing ourselves to the way things always or to the way things are. 
right? I think what, what we often tend to believe is that that God is with us and we know that God is with us when our circumstances change in the manner that we want them to change. And so when, we talk, when I talk about embracing our situation and settling down and settling in, I'm talking about reorienting our understanding of God's work in our lives. So the old thinking is, is if God saves us from exile, if he returns us home, then we can for sure say that God is working on our behalf and has not abandoned us, right? So if God changes my circumstances, if God gets me that new job, if God makes life a little bit easier, if my financial situation is a little less complex, if God helps us in the way that we think that we need to be helped, then I'll know that God is with me and has not abandoned me. But Jeremiah says, no, 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 no. God is with you right where you are. Settle in and settle down. No, it's not optimal. No, it's not exactly what you want. But God is still with you. God has not abandoned you. And yes, God eventually will bring you out, but it may not happen in the manner you want. It may not happen in the time frame that you're hoping for. But God is with you right where you are. You can settle in. You can settle down. Because God is with you. And when we begin to accept that in our lives, I think we move closer to the peace that we hope for. We become a little less anxious. We stop chasing. We're able to engage our neighbors in new ways. We begin to see our community in a different light. We truly do begin to pray and work for the good of the city. Because we've settled in. We've settled down. And we've pursued God's shalom right where we are. Let's pray. Father, I believe that one of the hardest things that that we can do as a modern-day people who have the world at our fingertips, is to embrace our circumstances. But this is exactly the kind of peace that the Apostle Paul talked about, that regardless of what he was facing, whether he had food or whether he was hungry, whether he was clothed, whether he was naked, whether he had much or he had little, that he was content. He was at peace. This, I believe, is the challenge for us that you are calling us to. So I pray that you would help us. Help us to find peace in our circumstances. Help us to trust that you have not abandoned us, but that you are right there with us. Give us eyes to see the way that the Spirit is moving. Give us eyes to see the goodness that you've surrounded us with. Give us a calmness of spirit that is able to settle in and settle down. We pray for the good of our city, Lord. We pray that 
this city would be a place that is just. A place where people find community, where they are known. We pray, pray that our children flourish, that they are challenged, that they are molded, that they were shaped into people who are engaged with the world around them in their efforts to make it better. We pray that as a people, we would come around our kids for that purpose. We pray that we are not content to be satisfied with, with simply having good amenities for us and our families but that we would desire that everyone who lives in our city would do well. That in being in this place, they would not just simply be financially better off, although that, but that they would be in a place that makes them better people. They feel like they belong. They feel like they are known. We pray for the leaders of our city. We pray that they would make good decisions, that they would make decisions that help our city to prosper. We pray that they would be just and that they would be right in the decisions that they make. We pray for the religious communities here in Fishers. We pray that each church would not be seeking to build a kingdom unto itself, that we would not silo, silo ourselves in ministry, but that together we would pray and seek the good of our city. And that part of what is good for our city is an active presence of the people of God in our schools, in our hospitals, in our businesses, in our law enforcement, and in our government. And so we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would activate the body of Christ in this place. pray that this would be a place not just where we live but a place that we've settled into and even if we don't live here for the rest of our lives Lord may we may we operate as if we're going to so that your peace and your shalom your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.